Hey, so we're in a series like every January where we talk about um, the core values of the church. Every single January, I do the same thing. I talk about the four basic fundamentals of our church, what we're all about as a church, why we do what we do, all that kind of stuff. And um, in fact, I thought I would start this year because 2020 was so messed up and so weird. I thought I would start this year by simply playing for you a video clip of last Last year. And so in just a moment, you're going to see me, but not me now, me last year. And I just want you to take a look at this guy's optimism, his enthusiasm, his desire to see a brand new year unfold in front of him with this church, all community united with each other. Watch this. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Man, I just love the Bible. You need to read the Bible because it's kind of funny. And uh, so Peter, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just you who's going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See what he says next. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And the promise is still active today. And the promise is for me. And the promise is for us. You see, it's not just for one individual person. It's not just for one individual person. The promise of the Holy Spirit has always been for the individual in the context of community. You just have to read a little farther in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. By the time you get down into the 40s, you find this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Keep going. He says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In the same chapter where the Holy Spirit shows up, the immediate response of the Holy Spirit's presence is now there's more of them and they get together every chance they get. The Holy Spirit drives them to community. This year, we're going to do something different. This year, we're going to kick it up a notch. This year, we're going to take the beginning lines of Acts chapter 2 as literally as we possibly can, where it says, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. And we are going to leverage the togetherness as much as possible. And we, over these next eight weeks, not including next week, we're going to start it on February 9th, but we are going to leverage togetherness and unity as much as possible. And we are going to have unified worship on Sunday mornings. What I mean by that is we are having one worship gathering, not two. It's going to be at 10.15, so y'all got to wake up earlier. Oh my, it didn't work out that way, did it? So we didn't even make it the full eight weeks. You saw the, you saw the chart up there. It was like going from February 9th to March 29th. Um, we got nowhere near uh, doing what we thought we would do last year. And, and when I watched that video clip, um, I was just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, if I could have told myself last year 
I still don't know what I would have told myself anything about this coming year. But so the bottom line is this. We have always been a church that tried to focus on community. It's in our name. We've always tried to focus on the fact that we exist for each other and for God's good, glorious name in the world. And so community means the people who are part of our fellowship and community means the relationship we have with the world out there. We have always tried to be a community kind of church. And the truth of the matter is that 2020 just broke a lot of things down. And listen, I know we've done a lot of complaining about 2020, and 2020 did bring a lot of problems. But I'm going to say something here that I think you'll agree with me on. The worst problems in 2020 were relational problems. Yeah, there were lots of medical problems. Yeah, there were lots of political problems. Yeah, there were lots of racial problems. But on top of all those other problems, we had the medical problems that caused relationship problems. And we had the political problems that caused relationship problems. And we had the racial problems that caused more relationship problems. And each of those three problems that caused the other problem were themselves caused by relationship problems below them. If we had good relationships, we would have been more easily able to navigate the political events of 2020. If we had better relationships, then the racism issue that we were dealing with in 2020 would have been different. And if we had better relationships, then even the way we viewed things regarding the COVID pandemic would have been different. Listen, everything this last year was really all about relationships. Our worst problems were relational in nature. And so everything is divided. In 2020, we got to a place where we invented a new term, a term that I had never expected in my life, social distancing. I didn't even need to say the word distancing, did I? I say the word social, and everybody is thinking one of two words. Either you're thinking media, and that was also a big deal in 2020, or you're thinking distancing, social. How do you finish that sentence? Certainly not gathering. Certainly not anything else. When I was a kid, the word social meant a party. It meant a thing that adults did when they didn't want to call a party a party. They had a social. But there were still the little mints and punch there. And so anyway, uh, it's just the thing that this last year caused us to be divided over so many different things. And you could even just list on every single issue that we had to deal with this last year, every single one of them, Deeply divided people. Masks, politics, deciding which news outlet was telling you the truth, whether you're on Facebook or Gab or Twitter or Parler, everything about 2020 seemed to divide us more. Even the slogans that we usually use to unite ourselves ended up dividing us. You could be BLM, but it all depended on whether or not it was Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, and that would divide you from your family and your relationships, and our church was no exception. We want to be a church that's community. We want to be a church that's relational. We want to be a church that has good relationships with the outside world, and yet we ourselves this year were so confronted with divisiveness and being divided from each other that I think we have to do some real introspection and some real thought 
about it. And so what I did is rather than us just staring at our own navels, I asked another pastor, Andy Byrne from the Upper Room Christian Fellowship. Their church is really well known for having a tight-knit community, and there are reasons for that. And so I interviewed him. I asked him some questions so that we could learn a little bit from their experience about our experience and see if God has something to say to us through his word. So here is my first clip from my interview with Andy. I hope you enjoy it. Everybody, I want to introduce to you uh, Andy Byrne. He's a friend of mine who's the pastor of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in West Lafayette. And he's not the founding pastor of it, but he's only their second, like, real, you know, full-time pastor person, which means he had some big shoes to fill, especially because the uh, founding pastor is still at the church. And uh, that's a... That's an intimidating assignment, but one of the things that I find to be the coolest about Upper Room Christian Fellowship is just the tight-knit community that your church has always striven to be. And so, Andy, I want you to start by introducing yourself just a little bit. Tell us who you are, some things about your family, but then tell us about the church and what does community mean in the context of Upper Room Christian Fellowship? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, so I, my name's Andy Byrne. I am married. Uh, my wife, uh, Shalen, we've been married 25 years. Uh, this past June, it would come as no surprise, we did not get to do a, a good trip uh, in June. We have four kids uh, from grad school on down to a freshman in high school. And uh, I've been at the Upper Room for all of those 25 years. And the Upper Room is, uh, there's Lots of different uh, aspects of it, but one of it is uh, the, it's very volunteer-oriented, lay leadership. Uh, and so we've been involved um, in leadership for all of those 25 years, but for most of that, I was a middle school history teacher. And we uh, led the uh, youth group, and we have led home groups, and I've even preached but my full-time job was, uh, was in education. Six years ago, uh, the need uh, came to our leadership team that we needed to uh, have somebody else full-time. And so I became uh, full-time at that point in full-time ministry. And so that's a little bit about me and about the upper room. But I would say... Uh, one of, and I would agree with you, and I, it's nice to hear other people go, hey, you know what we see at your church is that th- there is community. And, and even in our name, uh, there's no question in a biblical sense that our church is a church, an ecclesia, those who are drawn out of the world to gather periodically, hopefully several times a week, maybe even every day sometimes, um, But we call ourselves a fellowship because when our church was founded in the early 1970s, it was founded around this time period where there was revival going on, uh, there were miraculous things going on around Purdue University and in our community here, and there was a deep desire to, uh, throughout the week, gather with one another and not just gather together for songs, which was great, or teaching, which was good, um, but for fellowship, for relationship. And so that was how it was founded. And uh, in fact, they even founded it, um, first it was a prayer meeting, and then it was, you know, they'd have book studies and, and Bible studies, and they were always eating meals together in, in the early 1970s. And so that was the, the foundation of the upper room uh, coming together. And so we've tried to continue to do that. 
And so part of our uh, environment, our, um, our gathering, what defines us, is we even have a meal. After every Sunday, we uh, eat. Uh, this 250, 350 people will stay after the service and will serve lunch as well as many of the midweek meetings, home groups, those will have meals. Uh, And so we've tried to continue not just meeting together once a week and not just meeting together for um, uh, teaching and worship, but really to be a tight-knit fellowship group. So So. what are the core elements then of the community that you're talking about? I heard you mention uh, lunch. I heard you mention uh, groups gathering. Do you have like um, an identifiable, these are the things that we do to strengthen our community? Sure. And just like you're going through the, your core values this, this month, we really find our core values in, in Acts 2 where the, uh, the believers devoted themselves and that devote is a word that we're really uh, as we move on to where we're at today, we're really uh, focused on. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we want good biblical teaching. Uh, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And so we want uh, to be devoted to that and to fellowship and then to breaking of the bread. And so those are the four aspects. And so any part of our meetings are usually focused around one of those four things that we find in Acts 2. So I want to start with something that Andy said there. He referred to us and them as ecclesia. I want to give you sort of the definition of that word. This is an important word that is used in the Bible, and every time this word shows up in the New Testament, we translate it church. And that's a good translation for it, but it's only a good translation for it if the word church today means the same thing as ecclesia meant back then. Ecclesia literally means those who have been called out. Ek is the Greek prefix for out, and klesia is the noun form of the verb kaleo, which means to call. And so ecclesia means those who have been called out. And it was used back then to refer to the politicians of the day. You see, the politicians of the day were those who had been chosen from the citizenry to come out of the citizenry to have a special identity to care for the needs of the greater society. The ecclesia were the people who were called out of normal life to be a part of the team that made life better for everyone, to be part of the team that was sort of that set-apart group. And when Jesus says in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, he uses this word. He says, I will build my assembly of called out people. And so ecclesia refers to the council, the people who have been called out. It also refers to the assembly, the time that those people get together. And it's overall just a communication that says, you're not normal anymore. You're special because God has chosen you. The chosen ones, the called out ones, the assembly with a mission and a purpose. 
So he mentioned that word, and he'll use that word a couple more times in our interview, and I wanted to make sure that we were on the same page with regard to that. But I also want to share with you some quotes that he gave us that stood out to me. The first quote that he said is, we try to continue meeting together, not just for teaching and worship, but to be a tight-knit fellowship group. See, the name of their church is Upper Room Christian Fellowship, and they avoided the use of the word church in their name because they wanted to emphasize the word fellowship, which is another very common New Testament word. The word that we translate as fellowship was the Greek word behind it. I don't have it on the screen for you, but the Greek word behind it, uh, oikonomos, and it comes from the Greek word for household, oikos. And so fellowship means the group of people who live under under the same household, the group of people who are part of the same household. Or for our words today, we might just use the word community. In fact, when we use the word community in our church name, we are using the same Greek word that they use when they use the word fellowship. But he says that what they do as a church is the goal of being a tight-knit fellowship group. Now, churches have lots of different goals. Some churches have as their goals big buildings. Some churches have as their goals loud music. Some churches have as their goals somber worship. Some churches have as their goal to be a tight-knit fellowship group. And God calls all churches to have different kinds of roles in the community, get different kinds of roles within his kingdom. But Andy said one more thing. He said, we find our core values from Acts chapter 2. And the reason that's important is that we also find our church's core values from Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, particularly in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and, and prayer. I think that was, the, that was the right order. You heard me mention it in my little video clip from last year. We carry our same core values largely from that. There's just one difference. Where upper room has a specific calling to emphasize those four things specifically, I believe that God has called our church to emphasize a little bit more on verse 47. And verse 47 says this, praising God, oh, hey, we got um, me on the screen, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We've got an idea, we've got a perspective in our church that says we always need to be focusing on the addition piece. Not us necessarily doing the addition piece, but God adding to their number. Anytime our numbers go down, that's a sense that we aren't doing what God wants us to do, or God is taking us through a pruning slash training period. That's 47. But if you go backwards just one verse to verse 46... It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with the glad and sincere hearts. And this is another aspect of our church emphasis. Every day they continued to meet. They met in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. 
Part of our approach in ministry has been to do something public in the temple courts, to be visible in the public eye, to be visible in the world around us, to be engaged in the world around us. That's to be visible in the temple courts and also to do the things in our homes, whether breaking bread or devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching or whatever. And I share that to say that all different churches have different angles on how they employ these same basic things from Acts chapter 2. And so we're not listening to Andy to try to find out exactly why our church isn't as good as theirs, as if two churches could be compared that way. The reason we're doing that is to see what God has led them to do and to get us a little bit more clarity on what God is leading us to do. And so as we go into that process, I want to take you to the second clip I have from Pastor Andy to learn a little bit of how their church experienced this last year. What happened in 2020? Yeah. Uh, in what ways did any of that change? Yeah, and just as everybody uh, looks, you know, there's this tension I see in, in the year 2020. Uh, I, I read a, a joke and it said, you know, the, that 2020 was the worst year ever if you've never lived at any other time in the world. Uh, in in history and being a historian, that's really true. Yeah. Um, but it really was. So that's a, you know the joking part. Oh, it really wasn't that bad. But on the other hand, there was some some pretty significant difficulties. Um, not only with uh, COVID and people getting it and family members having significant um, uh, sickness as as well as death, um, but it it changed. Uh, what we did. And so what we did uh, when the state first shut down is uh, we went into our small group, which we call home group meetings. And the first week, I think it was March 15th, if that was a Sunday, um, we actually met in person because we didn't know how widespread this was. And so we met in, we have seven functioning home groups but we met in nine specific groups for that week. And so two of those were large extended families that broke out. Okay. <clears throat> and then the other seven uh, were our uh, usual home groups. And then after that, um, we continued to rely on those home group leaders and those home group meetings to be our church and our community. And they met on Sundays and they met on Wednesdays. The, we did make some changes, um, and one of those was I would record and send out a weekly encouragement, uh, kind of a sermonette, uh, much shorter, 10 or 15 minutes, uh, to kind of focus each of the groups, hey, this is what we're praying for, this is what we're um, dealing with. But the, that Zoom technology allowed us to continue the interaction which became, which was really, you know, we came together, it was uh, par for the course, it wasn't that difficult to do. It became really intentional. And, and that's where that word in, in Acts 2, devoted, really became important. We say intentional today, but we recognized that we really needed to be intentional with that. And so you really leveraged your home groups. Yeah. effectively divided into nine smaller churches. Yes. Um, but what did you do to stay connected? You were doing the videos of a message each yes. week that then got distributed to everybody, and you right. were using Zoom yes. somehow to connect all those groups together? Right. 
Yeah, and what that did was it continued. There's great teaching out there. Uh, and in fact, one of the things that 2020 did is I've gotten to listen to Lafayette Community Church, and I've gotten to listen to River City, and, and I've been able to tune in to all of the great teaching that's out there. And there's great worship. You can go on YouTube and, and find a great worship set, probably better than any of us can do, although you're good on guitar. Uh. <laughs> um, and so there's great worship, but the part that we didn't want to let go of was, how are you doing? How are you handling quarantine? How are you, you know, what are the job situations in, in each of the groups? And so those kinds of conversations and caring for one another uh, and praying for one another took place in those Zoom meetings. And then those home group uh, leaders were in communication with me or one of the other elders. And so that was kind of the communication uh, guideline between that. The elders continued to meet. And so we did, the elders continued to meet in person almost every week. There were a few that we went to Zoom because somebody had been exposed and, and that kind of thing. But uh, we were able to meet distanced and, and with masks and in, a, and in a smart way, but still be able uh, to keep our core leadership meeting with one another. Um, and then the other really important thing that we did was we had a meeting early on where we gathered all of those leaders, which nine group, little churches, it was actually 25 or 30 people because uh, we, hus- we had husband and wife and then they had a co-leader. Mm. But we gathered all together and we really just went through our directory and we said, we want to make sure everybody is at least being contacted and that we're caring for our, our flock at that point. So that was a really important meeting. Excellent, excellent. Um, so that's how it all began. How did yeah. it develop through the year? What changes yeah. did you make as things went on? So that, ha- that, that went on until the last weekend in May. And in the last weekend in May, um, we moved to live stream. And um, what had happened be- between March and May is different people began to feel different levels of comfort with meeting with with one another. And actually that really uh, did well that we were in different home groups because it wasn't me or another elder top down saying, this is how you have to meet. Those different home groups were able to make their decisions based on the comfort level of their group. And one of the messages that uh, we spent three or four weeks on was deferring and preferring to one another. And that was really important because if I have a certain held belief and you have a certain held belief, we should be able to coexist with with one another. And so our home groups were the were the ground where that really that discussion took place. But that's where they had the closest relationships. And so those were much more seamless than top down us trying to to make those decisions for people. So then in. what live streaming allowed us to do was uh, those who felt comfortable could come back together. We have a large gym sanctuary area that probably holds five or 600 people if pre-2020, if we were all packed in. And so we were able to spread out um, and have uh, what we felt like were safe meetings. It's got high ceilings, and it was really, we were, it was the spring, and so we were able to open doors wide, and we really felt like we were able to do it in a wise way. Um, but only about 
a third of the people came back uh, in person. And um, so what we did was uh, we would have our Sunday morning, a, a pretty similar type of a meeting. It was shortened because we didn't have, we didn't have any youth ministry to start off with. And then again, we relied on that midweek home group meeting to touch everybody and to talk with everybody and to check up and to make sure their, their uh, people were being cared for. And so that's what we went to uh, in May, and we've continued to do that. We're probably at, um, I would say, half or probably over half of the people are now coming on a Sunday morning but we still are really relying on those home groups. Some of them are still meeting in Zoom. Some of them are meeting in person. Some of them are sharing meals together. So there's a real difference of how comfortable people are, but we want to give that kind of freedom to those individual groups. Listening to Andy um, during that interview, when I was listening to him, there was a part of me that was feeling guilty. I'm hearing the things that they did at their church, and I'm like, those are things that I wish we did or that we could have done. And, and there's another part of me that was like, but wait a minute, there are, these things wouldn't work in our context for reasons A, B, C, or D. So let me unpack for you just a couple of the things that I took away from that interaction with Andy. First of all, analyzing their strategy. What they did is they decentralized everything to existing home groups, including Sundays and teaching and worship. What they did is they said, we are going to just make everything in our church go home group first. And then everything else kind of was uh, icing on the cake on top of that. So Pastor Andy would record a weekly short video, but not a sermon. He wasn't recording a teaching video. It was a short video that included announcements, a little bit of vision casting, maybe a brief little devotional on some passage. But he would just record that and give the group some focus. But the teaching and the worship and all the experience of the church happened in those groups. And each of those groups had their own freedom to determine what they were going to talk about and how they would talk about them. They also emphasized personal care for one another through those home groups and through those leaders. They had seven operating home groups, but really nine home groups, and they allowed those groups to be in charge of the personal care work of the church. And then on top of that, they assigned those leaders names from people in the church that they needed to contact, even if they weren't part of their group. Well, that was their strategy from March to May, and they didn't keep that strategy up for a long time. They then switched in May to a Sunday again strategy. They reopened Sundays in person, but they didn't do their meals anymore. They did add a live stream option. And here's the thing, they were teaching people to defer and prefer. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. So what I took away from that is two basic strategies that their church employed that, like I said, on the one hand, I'm jealous of, and on the other hand, I just don't think they would have worked for us. The first strategy is this one, leave the big stuff to the small groups. 
They did everything through leveraging their small groups. And I tell you what, I am jealous of that approach. You have no idea how much time and energy Chuck Garwood, my son Charlie, and I put in during the springtime every single week to record stuff, edit stuff, put stuff together, and then every Sunday morning I would wake up at like 6 a.m. just sweating because I didn't know if the technology was going to work. I, I, I would sit there in front of my computer just watching and waiting and hoping that things would happen when they were supposed to happen. Man, I'm jealous of their church's approach to that because during the springtime, this would have taken a load off of my heart and mind. And it also would have been easier for Chuck. But, you know, at the same time, they had nine functioning groups and we didn't. You know, we've talked a lot over the past few years about getting groups strengthened. We've tried different things. We've marketed them differently. We we called them life groups because we wanted to say the life of the church happens in the groups. We called them community groups because the name of the church is community and the way we live out community is in the context of these groups. And we called them core groups because they were the core groups in the church. Everything we wanted to do as a church was really foundationally built on these core groups. We've called them a bunch of different names. We've appointed many different leaders over the years. We've tried to have a robust strong, small group kind of ministry. And yet for us, we've constantly struggled. I mean, there've been some years where things were going well, but in every year, something about it would struggle. We would struggle to get leaders or other things. And so I'm jealous of their church in a lot of ways. But you know what? He gave another lesson that the way they did it and the way we would have done it are totally different. You see, his second main strategy in their church was encourage everyone to defer and prefer one another. Defer to each other and prefer the other person. Now, this is a biblical concept. Let me show it to you. In Philippians 2, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In humility, value others above yourselves. It's a biblical concept to defer to other believers. It's a biblical concept to prefer the opinion of other believers above your own. Now, what's interesting, though, is that the way they lived that command out in Upper Room Christian Fellowship is different from the way we would have done it. You see, the way they lived it out is they made a decision that they were going to leave all the big things in the small groups. That included the disagreements. That included the divisive conversations that included addressing any of the issues of 2020. They left all of that stuff to the small groups. And they said to the small group leaders, you guys have relationship enough. So if you guys want to talk about that stuff, you can talk about that stuff. But from the church-wide perspective, they just didn't take an approach on any of those things. On Sunday morning, they let people come, and if you wanted to wear a mask, you could wear a mask. And if you didn't want a social distance from a person who didn't want a social distance from you, you were allowed to do that. And if you wanted to show up in person, you could. If you wanted to stay home for the live stream, you could. They basically said, we're going to defer to everybody's opinion. And whatever your opinion is, we're going to allow it. And you need to do the same for each other. And so there's good in that, of course, because then people aren't constantly at each other's throats. 
But my problem with that is that I read Philippians 2 differently. See, when I read Philippians 2, it says, in humility, value others above yourselves. And when I read that, that means in my humility, I need to value your health above my comfort. In other words, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 is the reason I demand masks. Because we as a community need to be people who are living out the Bible passage of being in humility. We value others above ourselves. I see the mask as a symbol of valuing other people above myself, and I invite you to join me in that. I'm not afraid or ashamed to say those things. Uh, I was hesitant early on in this whole pandemic because I didn't know where things were going to go, and I didn't want to ruffle too many feathers. But by this point in time, anybody who's still hanging around with us is already okay with me saying that. So I'm just going to say it. In humility, value others above yourselves. See, here's the problem. Two Christians, two churches can read the same passage and come away with two different ideas of what they're supposed to do with it. The problem in our world isn't understanding that the Bible says something. It's in understanding how we're supposed to live it and how we're supposed to live it in community. Well, it's a good thing Andy gave us an answer. Not a clear, crisp, this is how your church needs to do it, and this is how our church does it, answer like that. But he says something at the end of this next clip that helps put all the other things in perspective. The biggest change about um, 2020 that I've heard you say seems to be primarily motivated by the coronavirus pandemic. Yes. That um, the changes that you've made have been largely with regard to that issue from 2020. Um, Were there any other changes that you noticed in your congregation from from any of the other issues? For sure. I mean, I would say there were three uh, main um, challenges, tests, trials in in 2021 was COVID. Uh, The second, I would say, was the racial uh, issues that we saw throughout the country, Kenosha and um, uh, Minnesota. Brianna Taylor. Uh, and so that was the, the second real challenge. Um, and then the third was the election cycle. Uh, and uh, that, again, is where the smaller groups really helped us because you and I, I can sit here and you and I could probably disagree about almost anything. I I can hug you. Well, not yet, but at some point, I'd still give you an elbow. (laughs) You know, I'd elbow. You know, we'd still love each other and be able to leave. But some guy that I don't really know or I'm not really connected with, um, saying something that I would disagree with might rub me a little bit Mm. uh, in a wrong way. And so uh, we were able to, in uh, whether it be on a Sunday morning or in those videos that I was sending out, be able to talk at a at a kind of a basic biblical level, um, but then allow the discussion to take place uh, among those smaller groups. And I think that was really valuable. Um, and it was, uh, it was valuable in the sense of when you talk about fellowship, when you talk about community, we as believers have to be able to agree and disagree better. We have to be able to agree and disagree. I don't know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, like Christians, so that they will know us by our love. Mm. And being in small groups has really helped that. 
The last line that Andy said during that little clip is the thing that I think gives us a little bit of an answer. He says, when you talk about community, we as believers have to be able to agree and disagree better, like Christians, so they will know us by our love. There's this idea that he, well, first of all, he said during that little clip some really practical things about how if you don't have a good relationship with someone, then it's hard to talk about the difficult things with them, and that's why the small groups are such a good thing and why they were such a good thing for them. But this line here is the spiritual heart behind it. He says, they will know us by our love. They will know us by our love. And then he said, and small groups help. Small groups definitely help because small groups give you the relationship you need so that when the difficulty comes, you can respond to it in love. But also, small groups help because when the difficulty comes, you need some people to process through that difficulty and small groups who love you already can help you do that work of processing. And the idea idea that he mentioned there that that should be our focus is the thing that I think summarizes all of it. How does one church and another church view the same passage in two different ways? How does one church and one group of people and another group of people view the same current issue in two different ways? Do we simply always defer to the other person in the sense of, I'm just going to let you have whatever opinion you want to have and I won't ever challenge you? Or do we take the approach that real Christians sometimes have to challenge other Christians when they're not living up to their Christian faith? Or is there a place for both? And maybe if there's a place for both, we need to recognize that what covers all of these other multitudes of sins is love. Jesus says it this way, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not this is how everyone will know that you're my disciples if you vote Republican. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you vote progressive. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you adopt this conspiracy. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you comment and share this post. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The simple question that I'd ask us to review last year with is this. Did we love each other well? Did the world see us love each other well? Sadly, I feel like the answer to both of those questions is no. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm not just talking about you as an individual. I'm talking about the Christian church. There's so many ways that I feel like 2020 was our opportunity 2020 was our chance to demonstrate to the world that we love one another and we're all about Jesus. And instead, we fell into the same traps that every other human being on the planet fell into this year. Politically divided, scientifically divided, relationally distant in all kinds of ways. What was different about the church this year from the rest of the world? The hard and fast truth is that moving forward into 2021, we have to do something different. We have to do something better. 
I don't have the answer to that yet. I'm still wrestling through it. I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. I just know God is calling us to something higher. He is calling us to something called love one another. And by this, the world will know that we follow Jesus. Well, let's finish up our time with Andy. I've got two short clips left to show you, and I'll break in after each one just for a quick comment. Here's the next one. But where we had said things like racism is a very important issue to one person, and another person, they would say, you know, I'm, I'm not that concerned about, uh, about racism, but I'm concerned about the economy. Whereas we would always say, well, those things should be able to live in community with one another. What it revealed was that that's a lot more difficult to do than it is to say. And so the trials and the tests came in really walking those things out. When push came to shove and those issues are on the forefront, are we able to to love one another in the midst of those? And so I don't know if it it necessarily revealed anything, but it brought up, okay, are are we going to do this or not? Are we going to be ecclesia, those drawn out for a central purpose, or are we going to be divided by... Uh, preferences and and opinions. And so on a Sunday morning, you might not rub shoulders with a person that has a, a differing view. And so it brought to the forefront, hey, these views are out there. And I think 2020 did that in general. Uh, racism, it's been a part of our country since the foundation. And uh, the, the huge divide uh, in political uh, thoughts and opinions and, and beliefs uh, those things were really brought to the forefront. And so, uh, and I would not only say that we should learn how to, we learned and were pushed to how to discuss those things, but how to not act like they're not important because there are important hmm. and go a step above that to recognize that whoever is in the political realm is not the king He's not the person or she's not the person that's in control of our kingdom. And so it's, uh, it's been a challenge to, to really stand on that because it's tiring. And I would say one thing, something else, you know, it would be a lot easier if I could tell you, you know, our, our church is a group of people and we're all the same. We all agree on everything. Uh, but one, I don't think that's what the Lord wants of his church. And it's certainly not what we experienced. And so I th- when I look forward, and I, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm hopeful that we are going to be stronger because we were able to look at um, the, the differences, love in despite of those, and, and still serve the kingdom of God, recognize really what's the kingdom of this earth, but serve what's the kingdom of God. And I say that, you know, when we begin to meet again, will our numbers be what they were? Probably not. So I say that recognizing there are those that have said, because of this decision or or that decision, um, you know, we were very careful not to to, uh, go for one political party or the other. We were careful uh, in how we handled masks. We were careful in how we handled these uh, different difficult issues um, 
but there will be those that said, you didn't do it like I wanted it, and so we're not going to be a part of, of you anymore. And that obviously makes us sad. That last line, you know, all, all the time that I was listening to Andy, there was a part of me that was thinking, well, there's a church that held it all together. Uh, all together. There's a church that kept people all relationally connected to each other. And then to hear him share what he said at the end, that there were still some people who said, hey, listen, we don't like the way you're handling this situation. We're just going to move on. That broke his heart, and it kind of breaks my heart for him. But he gave us a couple quotes. He said, one of the lessons he learned this last year is that there are issues out there that are divisive, and those issues aren't unimportant. They are important. I add this line, they are important to me because it's important to you. If I'm really going to defer to someone else, then that means I have to learn why a thing is important to them and understand that thing from inside their own head and understand their heart from inside their own heart. And until I get to that place where I truly understand where the other person is coming from, then I can't say it's not important because if it's important to them and I love them, it needs to be important to me. But he said this that I think is just an impressive overarching statement. He said, we need to go a step above and realize we are servants of a different kingdom. We aren't servants of this earthly kingdom. We don't serve science. We don't serve politics. We don't serve any of these things. We serve a God who sent his son to die on the cross that people who are as weak and frail as us would come to know him and have a relationship with him and with each other. That's the kingdom we live in. And so much, we, we spend so much time and energy dividing over each other and dividing over situations and circumstances. And this last year just revealed to us that we are more a part of the kingdom of the world than we are a part of the kingdom of God. Because if we were clearly part of the kingdom of God, then the earthly things that bother earthly people wouldn't bother us but they did, which means our eyes weren't in the right place, which means our hearts were not in the right place, which means our relationship was not in the right place, which means there's a lot of introspection that still needs to be done over the next couple of years, probably not just 2021. One final clip from Andy that has a quote you need to hear. Do you think you're going to do things differently moving forward, or do you just want to get back to 2019 as soon as possible? Well, there's no question. We want to get back to having meals as soon as possible. Uh, so there's, you know, there's this word in Acts 2, it's, and, and the breaking of bread, which obviously means communion. And so we want to have communion, whether that's in your families or in your home groups or in our large church. But we also feel like there's something valuable and really important about sharing meals. And that's why we do it. It costs money. We put our budget towards it. Uh, And so we definitely want to get back to that. But there are some things that I don't think the Lord wants us to get back to. Uh, The Lord wants to move his people. He, He allows things or he does things for two main reasons, I think. Um, For his glory would be number one. And so whether he allowed COVID or he allowed the racial 
however you see that happening, uh, it, it's for his glory. And the other is it's for our growth. And so I don't think any part of 2020 the Lord wants to waste and for us to go, oh, we're just going to backpedal to that. And so we're really, as, as we look forward to, to 2021, we're looking forward to, okay, how can we grow and how can we give him glory from the things that we experienced? And so I don't want to get back uh, to the way things were. There's some things that we want to continue, you know, that we want to do, but we want to do them um, in a more glorifying way in a, it, where we've, we've matured with one another. Um, I think, you know, you talk about uh, being able to have those conversations with one another. I think it would be great if we could have difficult conversations that's par for the course. And, and do that in um, a mature, um, Christian, I love you sort of a way. And even if we disagree on major political, racial, um, medical issues, to be able to, to love one another as we leave that conversation. Um, I think probably one of the things that we've learned is that's not going to happen on any social media <laughs> platform. But it is going to happen in ecclesia. Mm. It's going to happen in church. It's going to happen in fellowship. And I think as I look forward, that's going to be something that as the world sees the difficulty and the mess and the muck that is out there, they're going to go, where can I really get authentic relationships with one another? And I hope that's the church. Well, you know, if people could see the church as being a group of peacemakers— Yes. they might consider us to be children of God. Right. I would say that's scriptural. Yeah, I think it is. It's somewhere in there around Matthew, Matthew. 5, yeah. Jesus' own. It's in red. It is it's, in yeah, red. Yeah, it's in red. He said there at the end, the world is asking, where can I get authentic relationships? See, Christians face the same difficulties that anyone else faces. People in the church face the same difficulties that everybody else faces. But here's the difference. If we face that difficulty the same way the rest of the world, face, world faces that difficulty, then the rest of the world has no reason to gravitate towards the promise of Jesus and eternal life because they would spend eternity with these people. Listen, if we were the church that Jesus is calling us to be, we would face the same difficulty as the rest of the world in a totally different way. We would face the difficulty and it would draw us closer to each other. We would face the difficulty and it would bind us to each other. It would get us more deeply focused on our God in heaven. It would get us more deeply focused on our shared relationship with each other, our shared experience of the Holy Spirit, our shared knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of the truth. It wouldn't add to our divisiveness. We would be the people with authentic relationships. I say this every single year in January when I talk about our community core value. At some point in 2021, you're going to get mad at something I say or something someone else says or does in the context of this church. That's 
par for the course. Relationships have problems. Relationships have issues. Families always have someone who says the wrong thing at the wrong time. That's the way families operate. But if we operate like the normal world around us, we will shut each other out. You said that thing, I'm canceling you. You did that thing, I'm leaving you. We're just going to completely allow ourselves to divide ourselves over all the things and we'll be just like the rest of the world. Or we could be the people that Jesus has called us to be. We could be the people who love one another. We could be the people who defer to one another. We could be the people who sometimes challenge one another. And you this year are going to get offended. You this year are going to get mad. I could not have predicted last year how offended you would get, but I said you would get offended and we all did. It's going to happen again. Because we're family. And in order for us to be the church, we have to step into the difficulty, into the hardship, into the disagreements. Not avoid them, not just skirt them off to the side. We have to step into these things and say, I love you no matter what you think. And you need to say, I love you no matter what you think. But together, we are going to do the work of thinking more like Jesus. Living more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus. Because that's what it means to be a church. Called out from the rest of the world. I'll leave you with this final fill in the blank. The only way to be committed to the family when the difficult moment comes is to be deeply committed to the family before that moment comes. The only way to be committed to the family when the difficult moment comes is to be deeply committed to the family before that moment comes. This year, we have to do something to find out how to be better at community with each other. But this year, I beg you to be an individual person who is more deeply committed to the family of God around you than ever before. Because the more deeply committed we are to each other, the more able we will be to handle the difficulties that we face. Every year, we ask people to sign a covenant that involves these words. The Spirit dwells in me, but His power is revealed in community. I intentionally prioritize Christian relationships because I have something to give and something to receive. Sometimes what I have to receive is someone else challenging me on my beliefs, my opinions, my perspectives, my actions. And sometimes what I have to give is forgiveness and comfort and love to someone who did something I don't agree with. Because that's what it means to be part of a family. And as iron sharpens iron, and as one coal ignites another coal, we as people need to be those who together can produce something full of warmth and heat and life and love. 
In just a few moments, I'm going to switch over to a Zoom call that I encourage you to join us in. There will be a QR code displayed on the screen. If you have a modern phone, all you need to do is take your phone, snap that QR code, and it should take you right to the Zoom webpage or the app if you already have it installed on your device, and we can join each other that way. It'll be in about three minutes after I pray, but let me just encourage you to invest yourself this year in being a person of deeper community with God's people. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.